What if you could have a film critic, film festival director, film publicist, and fellow filmmaker guide you with your film's PR and marketing journey from pre-production to post? I'm Kevin Sampson, and my online course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker, does just that. In this course, I'm going to teach you how to set up your film to engage an audience and build a community long before you call action. I'll show you how to approach critics to make them aware of your film like publicists do. And as a director of two film festivals, I won't just teach you hacks and secrets to reduce entry fees, but how you can use the festival circuit to create buzz around your film. I'm a huge supporter of diverse storytelling and film, and I believe the most unique voices come from indie filmmakers. That's who I've supported over the years with my show, Picture Lock, whether on TV or on radio. With as much experience as I've had as an independent filmmaker myself, critic, publicist, and festival director, I realize that most indie filmmakers just need access to the knowledge that big firms provide to achieve success. So in this course, I'm going to demystify some of the process and give you everything I know and a behind the scenes look at the sides of the business you don't always see. So if you're an indie filmmaker that's looking to change the game with your film's PR and marketing, make sure you check out PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Head on over to PRForTheIndieFilmmaker.com and get a free preview of the course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Get your film seen, build community, and become an army of one. It's Picture Lock on WERA LP Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to radio episode 126 of the world famous award winning show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find movie reviews, all the back episodes, and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. I'm going to keep this as brief as possible to get into the intros this week. But first, the new book, Army of One, PR and Marketing for the Indie Filmmaker, is out on Amazon now. Check out armyofonebook.com for more information. But yes, I'm giving you all that I have as a filmmaker, film festival director, film publicist, (laughs) and film critic to tell you how to take your PR and marketing of your film up to the next level. Probably more important than that, at least prioritizing right now, is the 2019 DC Black Film Festival. It is around the corner, folks. It takes place August 15th through 17th at the Miracle Theater and the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, D.C. I'm going to be bringing you interviews with officially selected filmmakers throughout the next few weeks on air and through the podcast. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Check out dcbff.org for information on our schedule, film lineup, and how you can get tickets to be in the building. This week on the show, I have directors Jody Gomes, Giorgio Angelini, and Victor O'Frank. And that's all ahead on Picture Lock. Hey, everybody. This is Maya Gallus, director, producer, and writer of The Heat, A Kitchen Revolution, and you're listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. And in 2009, 1,176 Atlanta teachers were investigated for test cheating. 
35 were indicted, 12 went to trial, and 11 were found guilty on RICO charges, which are typically reserved for the mafia and drug lords. The guilty, serving 30-year sentences, finally break their silence in this tell-all controversial film that takes a closer look at the legislation called No Child Left Behind, the politics behind it, and a race and power struggle that spawned one of the most complex scandals in American history. One Child Left Behind, the untold Atlanta cheating scandal is the title of this documentary. I have the film's director, producer, Jody Gomes on the line with me. Jody, welcome to Picture Lock. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. <laughs> awesome. I, I look forward to talking with you about the film. But Jody, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Well, actually, I fell in love with television first, and that's where I started my career. I, I knew at the age of eight that I wanted to write and direct. wasn't sure if it was going to be TV or film, so I pursued television production at Loyola Marymount University in college. And I went from there. Um, I moved into Eddie Murphy Productions, worked with the Jackson family, ended up running Matt Johnson's company. And ultimately, all of that was a quest to get me to where I am today, which is directing films. Okay, that was nice straight to the point. And on top of that, you kind of gave us, uh, you know, a history of how you broke into the industry. But l let me ask you this one question. Okay, what was that first TV show or film that you were just like, yeah, I got to I got to do this. I got to be a part of this. Well, actually, I, so my first job was with my dream job. It was with Eddie Murphy Productions. I always was a huge Eddie Murphy fan. And I loved his stand-up. I loved his movies. I loved Coming to America. I loved um, Boomerang. And I just felt like he was opening doors and doing things that other folks weren't doing that were of my era. And so literally one of my first jobs in Hollywood was working at Eddie Murphy Productions, which was the dream job. And working closely with him and all of his executives gave me a chance to be able to meet and greet some of the top people in Hollywood. And I got to see sort of the politics behind television and film, but I also got a chance to see the creative side at its highest level. And so I was very blessed with that. And I think that was a defining moment for me. And I was like 20, 21 years old at the time. That is actually, uh, man, that's incredible. You, uh, that's a rare find, but I'm glad that you're able to do that. Um, and so I, I wonder, how did some of this kind of inform uh, your work for One Child Left Behind? So let's back it up just a little bit. If you could, kind of how did the work come across your desk? Because obviously this is a, a documentary. So what inspired you to, to um, shoot it and film it? Uh, and then I'll, I'll get back to the, to the Eddie Murphy crossover and we'll see if I can find this little nugget in here <laughs> later. But how did the sure. material come across your desk? Well, at the time, I was working with the Jackson family, and, and that sort of ties me to Eddie Murphy because with Eddie Murphy, I was able to meet some very high-level people, you know, from Suzanne DePass all the way down to the Jacksons. I had worked with them for years, and I was working on their docuseries at the time when Michael Jackson passed away. And in going through the trial with the family, uh, Conrad Murray was convicted of three years for killing what I feel is the most popular man in the world, and he only got three years. Well, shortly after that, the verdicts for 12 educators were announced, and they were getting upwards of 30 years for test cheating. 
And the two things just did not sit right with me, and that set me on a path to do a deeper dive as to what happened in Atlanta because I knew with 30-year sentences and these were educators, I knew something had gone tragically wrong in Atlanta. And so I wanted to make sure that I found out exactly what happened and more importantly, the why. Yeah, that that totally makes a lot of sense. Um, And so, you know, just in terms of capturing uh, something like this, like as a documentary filmmaker, like where do you start? And, And not only that, like where do you start, but then how do you flip it and give it to your audience in a way that they can follow the film and follow what's going on? Well, for me, I started with doing uh, research. You know, the the Internet is your best friend, right? So I Googled and found, (laughs) I found, you know, all the people that were involved in the case. And just by chance, I was actually Facebook friends with one of the attorneys that was a defense attorney for one of the people that went to trial, one of the educators. And she and I had lunch. She had co-authored a book called Cheating But Not Cheated. And it was literally about this exact case. And so from there, um, she and I got together and brainstormed how we could tell the entire story versus the story of one person. And that's what the film does. The film collectively takes all 12 educators and tells their whole story and and takes you really deeply into the why. But to answer your question, um, you know, if you're going to do a deep dive on any subject matter, start with the Internet. Call, pick up the phone call people, call the contacts, call the attorneys involved if it's a social justice project, um, you know, call the victims if it's something where there's a victim involved and see if their family is willing to talk. Um, that's my advice to filmmakers, like your best place to go is on the internet. And then from there, having a legitimate background. Obviously, I'd work with a lot of high-level people, so for me to pick up the phone and call the DA to call the governor, to call the mayor of Atlanta and be able to get these people to participate in the film, spoke volumes about my background. They obviously knew that I was legitimate and knew that I was going to be able to tell the story from a fair and balanced place, and that's what I did. It's Picture Lock. I'm talking with the director producer of One Child Left Behind, the untold Atlanta cheating scandal, Jody Gomes. <laughs> Back in the day, my dad, whenever I had a question, and this is kind of side note in here, but like definition of a word he would always say go look it up in the dictionary and I think what you just said is like a perfect example for hey if you have a question and you want to kind of follow a story uh, Google is your friend you know doing some of that initial work just to find out more about uh, the story and then finding your angle um, that, that's that's incredible. It, I don't know why what you just said. It just kind of reminded me of my childhood and how my dad would be like, go look it up. <laughs> but it's wise advice. <laughs> it's very wise advice. Yeah. And so uh, what I want to know is um, in filming the documentary and putting this together, were there any particular and obviously they're real people, but, you know, for film, we call them characters. But were there any people that their story just like even past filming stuck with you? Yes. There were two people in particular that stuck with me and still stick with me, and I actually take them on the festival circuit for our Q&A panels. One of them was uh, Dana Evans. She was a former principal. She has a PhD. She was found guilty and must serve upwards of three years. But she was only a principal at this particular school for one year. She had come from predominantly wealthy, affluent white schools. And she voluntarily went to the school in the hood where she one year later found herself swept up in one of the biggest scandals in education history and now has federal charges against her. Her story is as deep as we dug and as many 
stones as we turned, we could not find anybody legitimately that could say she cheated, instructed them to cheat, or told them to cheat. What happened in her case was she got swept up in what is a bigger story of cheating, and she, unlike a lot of other people, decided not to take a plea deal because she wanted to stand on facts. She wanted to stand on her truth, and her truth was that she had no idea that the school was cheating at the time that she entered it. And so she, took, she decided not to take the plea deal because the plea deal was very complicated, and she rolled the dice and went to trial. Well, she didn't have the resources, the attorneys, the money, or the power to win at trial, and she lost. And, in, and right now her life is at stake because she's under appeal. And she's hoping to stay out of jail by uh, filing a motion for a new trial, which evidence in the film helped some of those that are out on appeal file a motion for a new trial. And that's exactly what documentary films should do. So I'm very happy that we were able to dig up enough evidence and dig up enough revelations to help the defense. So her story sticks with me because I truly believe she did not cheat, nor did she instruct anybody to cheat in the one year that she was at this one particular school. And then the flip side to that coin is she had so much success at that school that it's, it's very difficult to wrap your mind around how she got swept up. And you have to watch the film to find out the details as to why she got swept up. The other character that sticks with me and also gives people in the film and the audience a lot of aha moments and wow moments is a gentleman named Christopher Waller. Christopher Waller is also a former principal that got swept up. But he is one of the ones that came to the film to admit the fact that he did, in fact, cheat. But he, in addition to telling you the cheating, he told you the why. He told you the how. And it gets very egregious, but at the same time, um, it's his truth. And he owns his truth, and you have to respect him for coming to the table and telling the truth about the pressures that he felt as to why he made the wrong decision. And I think that's a message in the film for anybody in any particular avenue or career. You know, pressure can make people do things that are untoward and make people do things that are wonderful. He took, he made the wrong decision, and he comes clean about that, and he makes amends about that. And so the film takes you on a ride where you get both sides of the equation. You really get three sides to one story, and those two particular characters, I think, will stick out among a couple others. Most definitely, and folks, if you if you want to check this film out, uh, again, it's a great film. Uh, it's playing at the DC Black Film Festival. I'm really excited to uh, see the screening of it. Jody, I, I really would love to talk to you longer, but we're going to have to wrap out. I have two final kind of questions. One, as you said, uh, you know, because of creating this documentary, it has helped some of uh, the teachers that are involved to be able to make a, a motion for appeal. And we've seen how documentary films are really, you know, making a difference in the world, right? With Blackfish, with uh, SeaWorld, um, recently with, you know, is more so reality docuseries, but with R. Kelly. Um, what does that feel like for the work that you've created to actually not just tell a story, but actually have an impact in the lives of the people that are involved that honestly, um, like you said, this could, uh, this could really save, you know, the trajectory of their lives. Well, it was, it was quite gratifying to find out if in fact somebody has been convicted guilty and they are not guilty and your material and your work can help tell that truth or shine light on a truth that was hidden somewhere in our justice system. It's very gratifying to know that your, your, your la the fruits of your labor have, you know, found somebody innocent or given somebody a chance at life that they were not given in our justice system. 
And so all I wanted to do was be fair and balanced and shine a light on the truth. And I think we've done that with this film. Most definitely. And Jody, if people want to, you know, find out more about the film, follow you guys on social media, how can they do that? Well, first I would direct them to our website, and it's a little bit of a long title, but it's called OneChildLeftBehindMovie.com. OneChildLeftBehindMovie.com. And from there you can follow us on all of our social media sites. But for the most part, on Facebook, you can also find us at One Child the Movie. Um, and uh, you can follow me personally as a director and executive producer. You can follow me under my name. And it's on all social media websites. It's just my name, which is Jody Gomes, G-O-M-E-S. Jody Gomes, the director producer of One Child Left Behind, the Untold Atlanta Cheating Scandal. Thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thank you so much for having me. It was great questions and a wonderful time. Many independent filmmakers find themselves in the difficult position of not only bringing their film into fruition, but getting it in front of the public to be seen on their own as well. So how do you build a community and develop a marketing strategy for your film when you are the PR and marketing team? Based on years of experience, filmmaker, film critic, film publicist, and festival director, Kevin Sampson offers practical advice in Army of One, PR and marketing for the indie filmmaker. Taking readers through best practices in setting up your film to engage the public and market it from pre-production to post-production. Find out how to start building your community and create sustained engagement in pre-production. Develop and administer a social media marketing strategy that you can keep up with by yourself. Create and assemble behind-the-scenes media through the stages of production to use with your film's marketing. Attract film critics to review your work through your website, email, and in-person interactions. Navigate the film festival circuit in a way that doesn't break the bank. If you've ever felt overwhelmed by the do-it-yourself nature of independent filmmaking, this book is for you. Available now on Amazon. Hey, this is Sandra Bertolanzi, creator of Kunstler, the artist series, and you're listening to Picture Lock. Picture Lock is the show. I'm Kevin Sampson, and the documentary Owned is a fever dream vision into the dark history behind the U.S. housing economy. It's playing at 2 p.m. Saturday, August 17th at the D.C. Black Film Festival. I have the film's writer, director, producer on the line, Giorgio Angelini. Giorgio, welcome to Picture Lock. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. First question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Oh, man. Um, I guess at a really early age, my uh, my parents were never shy about taking me to films as a young, as a young kid. I think I remember like one of my first memories, like five years old, uh, my mom took me to see The Last Emperor, which was probably a little out of my age range. Wow. But, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, like, <laughs> it's just like this epic film. And so, um, I don't know, like at a very early age, I think I just kind of understood film in a much different way. And um, um, yeah, I don't know. We, we, had, uh, my, my dad is, uh, my dad is, uh, was a doctor, um, cardiologist. And for whatever reason, he always had really incredible um, artistic types coming through the house from, from Italy, uh, especially that's where my family's from. Um, and, you know, he's kind of an expert in the field that he's in. And, and 
when I was like 12 years old, he had uh, this Italian actor, Massimo Cherisi, come to town. And we grew up in Houston. And he came to town to get a procedure done because he was about to start filming this movie called uh, Il Postino, The Postman, which um, went on to win, a, win an Oscar that year. But it was uh, the case that, that Massimo had a, a heart condition and the producers of the film wanted him to see my dad to see um, if he was healthy enough to film the movie. And it turned out my dad, you know, told him like, look, you have a congenital heart disease and you need a heart transplant. Like I can't do anything for you as a cardiologist. This is like a major problem. Massimo tells my dad, like, you know, I respect your opinion so much. You're an expert in your field, but, uh, you know, I, I have to make this film with my own heart. And so he takes my dad's advice, promises him that, um, he would come back as soon as the film was over to get his heart transplant. But like two days after wrapping shooting, he, he, he falls dead uh, of a heart attack of heart failure. And wow. I don't know, that story was just like so, so intense and so ingrained in my mind about, you know, just literally following your heart to, <laughs> to in his case, unfortunately to, to death for what he loved to do. But, um, it's also an impossibly Italian story. So, <laughs> wow. many levels. man, I got to tell you, uh, first off, you are definitely a storyteller because the way you laid that out uh, was incredible. <laughs> um, I was just like, I, I forgot we were doing an interview <laughs> for a second. Uh, <laughs> um, man, that is amazing. That's why I love asking that first question. Um, just getting some of that backstory. That is incredible. And like you said, that. You know, that is, man, that's so interesting. You know, like, do you do what you love to the point of death? You know, like, oh, my goodness. That is that is serious, man. That is heavy. But uh, dedication, man. And, <laughs> I don't know. I know. I I know I, the, uh, like, I know we're not supposed to be laughing. And I don't think it is funny that he passed. But I mean, like, you are absolutely no. correct. Like, that is you did it to death like when people say nah like i i can't do something else i'd die if i do something else. like that's a prime example which is amazing because that film like you said did go on to do really well um but uh okay so right, let's get let's <laughs> yeah yeah let's get let's get back and let's get back into this uh really quickly just if you could uh how do you go from that kid that was you know watching the last emperor at five years old uh to now you know the writer director producer of owned how did you break into the industry so um i always knew i wanted to be a filmmaker but it, it's um you know it's like an admittedly a really um I don't know. It's like a, it's a really uh, decadent sort of idea. Like, and also kind of really unclear how you become a filmmaker, right? There's a, it's not, there's not really like a, an internship program or like a very clear path to figure out how to be behind the camera doing your own film. And so I had been touring in bands for years. Um, and then in late 2000s and the, the crisis happened, the housing crisis happened and actually kind of destroyed the, the touring market for bands. And so I was kind of confronted with this, you know, first impasse in my young career and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And so I was thinking about going to film school, but I think quite wisely, my mother, who's an architect, you know, convinced me to go to architecture school because she thought it would be kind of a more foundational study of creativity. And uh, it turned out to be a really great opportunity to really study craft in a more general way and understand process and creative process in a more fundamental way and um 
so I always had in my mind though that I wanted to make a film and I, uh, being in grad school during the crisis in architecture school was a really great time to to think about all these problems and so I decided ultimately to start making a documentary about um, some of these issues that we were discussing in school and I got a grant to go photograph these abandoned McMansion developments in Inland Empire, California, which is east of, you know, inland of, of Los Angeles, the sprawling desert kind of uh, suburban swath of development. And um, it was kind of there where, where the story began, really. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Uh, and we're going to jump into uh, a little bit more about Own, but folks, you're listening to Picture Lock. I'm talking with the writer, director, producer of Own, Giorgio Angelini. Uh, Giorgio, if you could, uh, you know, Own definitely, it breaks down uh, kind of, uh, I don't want to say the have and have nots, right? Um, but it just the, it opens up kind of the, I want to say, blatant <laughs> yet swept under the rug issue with the housing market in America. Can you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about how you structured that as a documentary, right? Because you, you record all the information, but then how do you structure it in a way that we as the audience can absorb it? Yeah. I mean, that was like the big struggle. And admittedly, like when I was kind of pitching people this story, when I was, uh, started making the film people were like you can't squeeze all this into 80 minutes of a movie or they were saying like you know what is what is the uprising in in baltimore have to do with a housing crisis in in california like there was there was it was a broad story but I, it was like really important to me that people kind of understand a more holistic uh experience in, in america and so part of the struggle was was giving people just enough of a historical background because most people don't really understand or kind of take for granted how it is our our cities and suburbs became what they are today. Like, this didn't happen by accident. So part of it is, like, giving a crash course in history, but then also realizing that as a documentary, you know, you also want to make... It was very deliberate, right? Like, I could have written a book, I could have written a, an essay, <laughs> right. uh, I could have done a photo essay, but I decided to make a film. So, yeah. like, at the end of the day, I wanted to make it engaging and 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 have a story. And so, the the next, you know, the historical part was kind of like clear, right? You tell a history, but what was a little unclear was uh, the characters that would tell that story. And so, it was um, it was a balancing act, and also just you know, a lot of research trying to find the right people across the country to sort of bring these histories to life. So uh, unfortunately, kind of wrapping out here, one of the things that I would love to know is what has been the audience response to the film thus far? Uh, I mean, we've, 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 we premiered at Full Frame Film Festival last April, and we've had a really great run. Um, I'm really excited to to, to play the DC Black Film Festival, of course, I think it's um, it's been really great. I mean, I think it's really telling that we're doing your festival in August, and then the following month we're playing in Sheridan, Wyoming. Like, it's obviously a film that's <laughs> been reaching like a pretty broad audience because I think, and something I really appreciate about it was I was trying to do with this film is really bring people together um, to understand that like 
the problem and the housing crisis that's currently still going on is like it's something that affects us all but in order to move forward positively we sort of have to reckon with its history because mm. you know you can't fix a problem if you can't identify its historical issues first and you know we can't make the same mistakes twice right and um yeah so that was so the response has been really good um of course there's it's now uh, out in the in the in the world. It's like available for rental and stuff. And so we've gotten some, you know, other not so gracious responses from people who probably haven't actually seen the film. But you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, for folks that want to check out and follow the film online, social media, how can they do that? So our website's ownfilm.com, and uh, we have a list there of all the different outlets where you can go check it out there's a trailer up there and uh and you can request screenings and stuff through there as well um all that goes directly to me and then our twitter handle is also at ownfilm.com writer director producer of own giorgio angelini thanks so much for coming on picture lock thank you so much i appreciate it hey everybody this is writer director sharon lewis of the afro featured film brown girl begins and you're listening to picture lock It's Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and a young man's attempt to rob a local deli bursts an unusual friendship in the short film Dre. I have the film's writer-director, cinematographer on the line, Victor O. Frank. Victor, welcome to Picture Lock. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin. Thank you for having me. (laughs) It's my pleasure, man. First question I always start out with, Victor. When did you first fall in love with film? Well, actually... um it's kind of a kind of a mixed story because uh, I started out when I was in medical school because I, I, I'm actually a doctor. Or I used to be a doctor, I used to practice. But wow. I started out when I was in medical school. I had this um, relationship that thing that went south. <laughs> it took a while before it went south. And I always have this little inspiration of telling the story of that relationship and because it, it got me to a place where, first it made me a better person, but it was such a sad experience that, Eventually, when I came out of it, I felt much better about myself. And I felt like I wanted to tell that story. And right out of medical school, when I was like my fourth year, I made this short film about the relationship, and which ended up being somewhat very successful, which was I didn't expect it to be. We got a couple of awards then back in Nigeria and all that. And then I did a documentary shortly after that. And But then something else I realized in the process was that um, w- when I finished making the film, I had people walk up to me and tell me how the story impacted them. Now, being a medical doctor at the time, or medical student at this time, I sort of started understanding what the impact of how stories affect people. Like, you know, I, I tell people sometimes that um, I could change a man's state of health by telling him a story that could change his mind. And then, so um, right after medical school, I, I sort of got to a point where I realized, well, you know, this is something I could take to a different level. I didn't, I know for sure, I practiced for one year as a medical doctor, but I realized that I wanted to impact people in a different way. And then came the idea of storytelling, telling stories that can actually change people's mindset. And I, I'm of the belief that changing someone's mindset and how they think could affect their whole state of life. And that's a much better impact to me than giving them drugs on a daily basis. <laughs> I like that. I really, I really do. I appreciate that backstory because um, I, I see how with your storytelling, especially with the film like Dre, which we'll get into, um, how you're trying to help others through the film. So if you could, you know, you've kind of given us a little bit of uh, the history, 
But how did you actually jump ship from medical doctor to filmmaker? Did you did you go to school or did you just, you know, continue making films? And, you know, here we are now. So um, I think I did my first film in 2013 um, and then 2014 again. So like what I right right when I was in medical school, I've done like I did like two projects before leaving medical school. On my final year, I did the last one, which was kind of it was based on a real life story that was happening in Ukraine at the time. But then um, after medical school, I had one year of practice. That was the sixth year that we did. Usually, the one year of practice, and just after that, then I took a break for about about two or three months, and then I thought, why not um, take a formal study on this? Then I went to New York from Academy. 2015 slash 16. And then right after New York Academy, I've just been making films ever since. But in between that period, I've been like handling the camera and shooting the short films and doing interviews and, you know, telling stories that I felt people wanted to hear. And so that, that's kind of been it. I just, after the first year of practice, I just thought, well, I want to do this differently. And I came to New York Academy and here I am. That's awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Picture Lock. The doctor is in the building. Victor uh, O'Frank, he is the writer-director of the short film Dre, which will be playing at the D.C. Black Film Festival this year during our Wait Wet Film Block. So, Victor, if we can, let's go ahead and jump into it. Dre, in your own words, what is the film all about? It's very difficult to actually say in few sentences what Dre is about. And for the same reason why we don't have a trailer for the film online, which is unusual. <laughs> but, well, the, the, the synopsis or the logline says that it's a film about a young man who tries to rob a store, and then, then if this unusual friendship gets born out of that, that action he, he was trying to take. Now, um, we're, I don't know how to get into the film without actually giving so much detail about that, but the, the backstory to it, for the most part, is... I've been living here for like three years already, like, and I've, I've seen things happen. I've seen police brutality and I've seen um, racism and happen before me. I've, 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 I've had these experiences. Real, personally, real myself, quick, Victor, also, yeah. when you say living here, you're in New York, right? Because I don't think we've said I'm that New yet. New York, yeah. Okay, yep, go ahead. Yeah, I, I live in New York now. So I've seen things happen and I've, got to, I've had to talk to a few people and see stories from different perspectives. Now, Dre is my attempt to to shift, not shift the narrative, but to get to get people, especially black folks like us, to see things from a different point of view. It's, it's a story that at the end of the movie, people get to see something that they least expected. And it's a kind of a friendship. The friendship that is formed out of that his attempt to rob a store is one that we don't see very often. But if I tell you who the friend is, who how this friendship gets born, I probably the one the whole story is about. Yeah, you don't, we don't want to do that. That's the whole purpose of that film block because I think <laughs> all of the films that are within that kind of have this either unexpected twist or, you know, whatever the oh, case yeah. may be. So, yeah, we'll definitely save that for, for folks that be able to, <laughs> to check it out at the festival. Nice. But I guess one question, and you've, you've kind of touched on this, right? So, obviously, you want to um, create films and, and tell stories that really help people. Um, you know, what kind of inspired you to specifically uh, take take this angle? So I've, I'm, I've, I have a passion for young black kids. I do. Um, knowing that my, my life, if you, were to, if you were to tell a story of my life, it will be um, in two parts. The part before I saw Coach Carter, that's the film with Samuel L. Jackson, and the part after I saw it. 
Really? Because that doesn't have so much impact on me. Yeah. Wow. It doesn't have so much impact on me that I became a completely different person right after that. And my life has never been the same. And I don't know if the director of that film wanted that to have, wanted aim for that to be the impact of the film, but did for me. And and I saw the young black kid, and the movie quite literally is about you know, this coach trying to change the kid's, the kid's mindset, get him to, to, to go to college and, and whatnot. And I thought that there's so much, I mean, there's a lot going right for us now as, as black people, but there's so much more we can fix as well. And it's that, it's that passion I had to try to talk to young black kids. And as a matter of fact, I was hoping after the festival run of jail, we could send, this, send the movie to young black, um, to black colleges and, and high school, just to get kids to see that there's a different path they can take in life and they have options rather than the usual route where they feel like there's no, no one looking out for them, no one cares about them. Just give them the have to to imbibe to imbibe in them this sense of community. That that was the main idea. And also, I worked. With, I also worked with this com, this um firm. We call it After the Impact. What we do literally is that we create movies that we create these short films that address mental health issues, like social issues, and then we we send those movies to high schools and and um, U.S. colleges. And we have films playing playing across the state right now, actually. Wow, that's that's really cool. Um, and it's really cool that you can use the medium to kind of have a positive impact for change. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Picture Lock. I am Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the writer, director, cinematographer of Dre, Victor O. Frank. Victor, as we kind of bring things to a close here, um, one question I do want to know is what has the reception been thus far to your film? Okay, so we had a private screening for the film a while ago. And this lady stood up and he was like, she thinks she was, because I didn't invite her myself. I don't know who, did, who invited her. But after the film, she, she started crying. And then she, she told me that I think she was meant to be here, that, that she was meant to be here because the movie changed her whole mindset about something that happened to her a while ago. And then it really hit, it really hit home for me because that was kind of the aim of the film. So everybody who has seen it didn't expect the ending. And there's always added, there's been these two sides of people who go, no, we don't, really, we don't like it because it tells us how to behave. And there's this other group of folks who go, oh, we really love it because this is what we've been trying to tell other people. So it's been mixed. But the idea why I made the film wasn't to, um, to push an opinion on anybody, but to create a dialogue, to open the, the void for the, for the dialogue so people can actually have conversations about these things. And so far, I think the aim of the film um, of having to open that that little conversation has been achieved for me. The people who have seen it so far. Now we've been we have been accepted into a couple of festivals already, and we still have like probably thirty or forty more to go before we find out how many festivals is playing on. And right after that, then probably release it to the public, and we can now tell what really how people receive it properly. It sounds good. Now, folks, if you, again, want to see Dre, you can see it during our Wait What Film Block Friday, August 16th at 12.48 p.m. at the Miracle Theater in Southeast D.C. I'm definitely looking forward to just seeing what everyone thinks about uh, the films in this block. I think it's really special, and Dre is one of those special films. Victor, if you could, how can people follow the film, uh, get in contact with you via social media, etc.? Okay, so I'm on Instagram at Victor underscore O Frank, and um, 
every now and then we release a few like teasers about the film nothing major some snapshots and actually something i also really noticed recently a lot of people who have been sharing similar stories like that so on my instagram stories i share the stories every now and then just to give an idea and also invite i've been inviting people to dc black film festival just to come and experience the film themselves as well but if you want to follow me just find my website victorofrank.com or on instagram victor underscore ofrank awesome once again ladies and gentlemen it is writer director cinematographer of the short film dre victor o frank victor thanks so much for coming on picture lock thank you so much for having me that's all for this episode i'd like to thank my guests jody gomes giorgio angelini and victor o frank for coming on the show subscribe to the podcast in itunes tune in stitcher blueberry wherever you catch your podcast so you can hear the extended radio versions of the show catch unlocked episodes and the picture lock pr after show if you're a fan of alexa skills just say alexa play picture lock podcast and i'll come right up feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well you're supporting the filmmakers and guests i have on the show by allowing more people to be exposed to the podcast it's quick it's easy and free and man do i appreciate it you can find picture lock on most social media all social media is at picture lock show Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash picture lock show and subscribe and be sure to be on the lookout for my movie reviews that take place every Friday on Let's Talk Live DC. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on the website. All music is done by Mike S. The Producer 13. Make sure you follow him on all things social media at Mike S. The Producer numeral one, numeral three and hit him up for your music production needs. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, I hope you get your tickets to the DC Black Film Festival at dcbff.org. And outside of that, make sure you get the copy to my new book, Army of One PR and Marketing for the Indie Filmmaker at armyofonebook.com or on Amazon. And then in the meantime, I hope you stay locked on film. <laughs>